Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Wholehearted Eating. On today's episode, we're doing a deep dive into women's health and hormones and how to build happy hormones with Kaylee McDevitt. Kaylee is a return guest. She's also a registered dietitian specializing in women's health who owns a virtual private practice where she and her team help their clients overcome hormone, health, and digestive issues through personalized nutrition. On today's episode, we're really diving into what are some of the common things that hold most people back from building happy hormones, especially if you feel like you're someone who's quote, doing all the things, which I know a lot of us can relate to. We're also talking about what is the big deal about progesterone and how do you know if the symptoms you're experiencing are due to high estrogen or if they're due to low progesterone. And then most importantly, how do you know if the interventions that you're doing, the things that you've been trying are actually working? And if you want to check out Kaylee's previous interview on our podcast, which was called the Stressful Season Toolkit and the Gut-Brain Stress Hormones Connection, you can check that out. The link will be in the show notes. I'm very excited for our guest today because we have a return guest and someone who I have taken a major course from two years ago at this point, I think. But we have Kaylee McDevitt, and we're going to be talking all about hormone health today. And I'm pretty sure the last time I had Kaylee on the podcast was about three years ago, which is wild. So Kaylee, Mm -hmm. welcome back to the show. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I truly cannot believe it's been that long. I know. I know. And I like... We just interviewed someone else um, last week, one of my other friends, who, when did I say Meg was on the podcast, Christina? Like four or five years ago? Four or five like years that. ago. I was yeah. like, oh my God, how has it been this long? But anyway, <laughs> um, for people who may be new to the podcast who or who didn't listen to that episode three years ago, um, could you introduce <laughs> yourself a little bit, Kaylee? <laughs> sure. Yeah, my name is Kaylee McDevitt. I'm a women's health dietitian and I run a private practice specializing in really women in childbearing years. So a lot of cycle symptoms, irregular cycles, infertility, PCOS, endometriosis, that kind of stuff. Um, I did not ever intend to be in this space. Um, I thought I was going to be a sports dietitian. And as fate would have it, I dealt with a whole bunch of hormone health issues myself while I was in school becoming an RD and then spent all my free time learning about that and then realized that there was probably more people than just me that needed that info. So pivoted women's health and stayed there. And I've loved it. So I'm thankful for that. Isn't that how we all get started, right? Like we go (laughs) into this thinking it's one thing and then we have like, you know, example one here, N equals one, me, my own personal (laughs) relationship with food and my body and what's going on with it and having all these symptoms. Then we kind of specialize de facto in that one thing, which is really interesting. So I now know why you and Dana got along so well, both interested (laughs) in sports nutrition. It all makes sense now. It's all coming together. Pivoted the other way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, the universe was like, no, 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 that's not the space for you. Just kidding. (laughs) But honestly, I think it still kind of is like how 
many women are experiencing this in athletics too. It's such a high, a high amount. So I think even just having that perspective is really great. Um, one of the things that Dana and I were talking about before um, the interview that we had when we had you on was that you did a post recently called like that said like we're a generation deprived of progesterone. And we both kind of stopped in our tracks and really were excited that you said that because so much of the conversation with fertility and with women and hormones is really around estrogen. Um, a lot of the times, like we hear so much about estrogen dominance, but we don't really hear about progesterone deprivation. And so I'd love for you to talk about progesterone for people who are like, well, I don't know, I'm taking some the hormone pill that's progesterone only or like I might not know what it is. So what is progesterone and why is it so important? Yeah, I'm excited to get to talk about this because I don't think progesterone gets the airtime that it should, like you said. And I think like our conception or perception about hormones is that estrogen is the female hormone. And it's like it's kind of the end of the conversation. And it is, of course, estrogen is proliferative. It's what builds things up and gives us, you know, womenly figures and does a lot of good things for us too. But progesterone is another key player in that. And I'd argue that when we visualize this healthy, vibrant, fertile, grounded in her body woman, like that's progesterone's action, not estrogen. Progesterone is that calm, centered, balanced in flow with life kind of feel. And you know, that post was something that had been on my mind for a long time because we just don't get a lot of examples of women that feel that way, that aren't type A, high anxiety, high stress, saying yes to everything. And like, I'm very much calling myself out in the midst of that too. <laughs> Spent most of my time being not in that state of having enough progesterone, but progesterone is another female sex hormone. Men make it too, just in really, really small amounts. And progesterone's job you know, fundamentally is to carry a pregnancy. So progesterone, progestate, it's produced only after ovulation. So just that second half of the cycle, and it really balances the effects of estrogen. So estrogen is building up that uterine lining potentially to house a baby and progesterone's keeping checks and balances to make sure things don't get too rowdy. And so most, if not all of our cycle related symptoms and PMS come from either not enough like truly not enough progesterone or relative progesterone deficiency, where we just have too much estrogen relative to the amount of progesterone. So progesterone is the solution for a lot of our cycle woes, a lot of our fertility woes. Again, we can't carry a pregnancy without it. Um, and it goes beyond that too, even into the world of thyroid health. You know, progesterone stimulates the thyroid and keeps that chugging along. So, you know, the goal is why aren't we making it? What can we do from a diet and lifestyle standpoint? Are we missing any key nutrients? You know, really where are the roadblocks in this in this production? And um, I just think modern lifestyle is not really conducive to progesterone unless we're really intentional about it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to a point you made because I think a lot of the time when we're experiencing PMS symptoms or PMDD or, you know, when we really dive into things like PCOS, endometriosis, thyroid issues, other stuff like that. I think estrogen gets so much airtime and it's like, oh, it's estrogen dominance. And like I I would venture a guess that most people who listen to our podcast have heard of estrogen dominance. But I like the way that you phrased it is like it may be estrogen dominance in the sense that the ratio of progesterone to estrogen is off. But it can be that the kind of 
excess of estrogen or in comparison to progesterone is causing the issue or that it's actually lower progesterone. So can you talk a little bit more about what are some of the telltale signs that you may actually have low progesterone? Yeah, definitely. So because progesterone helps keep estrogen from getting too wild in the second half of the cycle, low (laughs) progesterone feels like heavy, painful, crampy periods. Um, Typically, there are a lot of clots in that flow too, if progesterone hasn't been around to minimize estrogen's effects. We tend to have a lot more breast tenderness and be more prone to fibrocystic breast tissue. Um, We can deal with weight loss resistance in a progesterone deficient state. Again, the action on the thyroid is really important. So without progesterone, we're typically in that like hypometabolic hypothyroid window. Um, We can deal with more mood instability. Typically, it's a tendency toward more anxiousness if we don't have enough progesterone around. That was definitely a primary symptom for me. Um, And even sleep changes without enough progesterone. You know, progesterone is like our calming, sedating chill type of hormone. And so without it, we're usually the opposite of those things. Progesterone is basically the SSRI of the hormone world. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm like semi laughing because, you know, progesterone for pregnancy. I don't know. I didn't feel calm (laughs) at all during either one of my pregnancies. So I'm like, yo, where was that? Well, (laughs) that's because estrogen is so high during pregnancy too. It's not the only one. (laughs) <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just laughing about it because I just feel like, oh, man. And everyone's so different, right? Because like I have friends of mine who who were pregnant. And I remember my my husband even mentioned, he goes, man, that was not your experience. Like he would see a friend of ours and she'd be like, oh, I'm feeling so great. And he goes, my wife is feeling terrible. <laughs> Did you feel terrible the whole time? Yeah, I had awful morning sickness basically oh, both the entire times. time. Both times. <laughs> both babies. They did not like give me any kind of break at all. So, but no, I, that's why I'm just laughing. Yeah. (laughs) Like I was robbed as well. (laughs) I did not have this calming thing at all. Um, I'm curious too, like, you know, we're talking about some of the symptoms of low progesterone also, but I'm curious of like going, taking a step back. One of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about why is it so important? What builds it up? Yeah. So we need healthy follicles in our ovaries to ever have the chance of making really good progesterone because what happens is the follicle matures an egg and releases it at ovulation. And then that follicle actually becomes something called the corpus luteum. So it like literally turns into a gland that manufactures a hundred percent of the progesterone that that woman will have in that cycle. And so during the luteal phase of the second, roughly two weeks, we have progesterone production coming out of that gland And so we need healthy follicles, healthy ovaries, and then we need a lot of key nutrients for that follicle to be able to do its job too. So we think a lot about like antioxidants, things like vitamin C, E, and selenium. We think about zinc. We think about B6. We think about magnesium. Um, It's such an energy dependent process to manufacture hormones and support fertility and progesterone is energy dependent. So we just think about those nutrients that help create some energy in the cells. Got to make sure you're eating enough is what Kaylee's saying. Oh, always. I'm like bored of myself because that's all I ever say. But. I was literally about to say if I had a dollar for every time I told someone oh. you're not eating enough, oh, the world would spin in a whole new way. I know. I know. It's just we nice to have this army, though, of everybody saying that. And it's like at some point you know, this is going to flip a switch. We're trying. We're to. trying. We're We're trying so hard, but it's true though. Like, you know, so much of it is, 
energy begets energy and we can't expect things to to build in the body if we're not providing it with the energy and the nutrients that it needs to build. And so I yeah. think that's really important, even though it is kind of like, I feel like this endless thing that we're constantly saying, when will it sink in, guys? <laughs> when will it sink in? Yeah, we can't skip it. it. We can't. And I, we want to. I'll even you know use a personal example for this because um, I think this is probably relatable, but I was on birth control for 10 years or so, went on it really young. So I didn't ever really establish good progesterone production before I went on it and then came off of it and was like, okay, I'm ready to make progesterone now, like just available. (laughs) And I was in grad school and working and running marathons and not eating enough. Like this was not a recipe for progesterone. And so it took probably two years to ever get to a point where I was making a good amount of progesterone per symptoms in lab work. And it's because I was skipping just eating enough. Like we can do all the nutrients, we can do all of the like fancy supplements, but we can't, we can't skip that step. So I delayed, I like made a lot of drama in my healing journey because I was ignoring (laughs) the one thing. So my hope is that if you're listening, you just remember that piece. If we skip that, there's going to be a lot more drama here. I'm laughing because I think we can all relate to that, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, speaking of um, like people who do all the things, right? I think this is a very common trend with I would say all all of our clients, right? Like all of the people that we see, especially when when there's something that feels off or wrong, or there are symptoms or whatever it is, there's something we're always trying to go go into like fix it mode or like get to the root of it. And then ultimately, I think what happens for a lot of our clients because they're very intelligent people, and like mostly we all work with mostly women. Um, And we kind of go into this like investigative journalism mode and we're like, oh, I need to find like all of the things that I could be doing. But I loved a couple weeks ago, I think you made a post that was like common things that are holding you back from building happy hormones, especially if you identify as a person who like tries to do all the things, which I think we can definitely all identify with at one point. But could you go into some of those things that are kind of holding people back? Sure. So yeah, the eating enough thing is it takes the first place always. Um, It gets missed sometimes accidentally, sometimes on purpose if we're in that like half in state and being half in will just drag this out. So um, we got to rip that bandaid off. The next one is just not taking into account how much of an impact stress and the state of the nervous system has on healing. I think you hit the nail on the head, like that investigative journalism mode that we get into when we're trying to fix stuff. And we typically got into this place with our health because we were trying to type A our life. So we are not going to type A our way out of this. Like we can't do this in the same manner. So taking a look at stressors, getting honest about that. And a lot of times there's like a whole reinvention of self that has to happen because we've identified as the one that does all the things and says yes and is perfect. And um, it's really hard to heal when we're holding ourselves to those standards. Um, I'd say not spending time in nature, which is kind of an unexpected tip on there, but we get so much benefit for being outside more from having contact with the earth, from seeing the sun. And I don't think humans were supposed to be in captivity under fluorescent lights in front of screens all the time. So that would be like a pretty simple thing to add to that. Um, We're not sleeping well. We've got to investigate that. If we're not doing things that bring us joy, we've got to investigate that too. And Um, We work with a lot of moms in our practice as well. And 
Like, I think there's probably no harder season in life to do things that bring you joy than when you're pouring yourself into sometimes several other people in your family. But even if it's like five minutes of silence in your car before you go in or just something that's for you, that doesn't serve a purpose, that does not accomplish a goal each day, um, really makes a big difference. And sometimes that's like our main action item for our clients for the week. It's like, do something that made you smile each day that served no purpose. It was not on your to-do list. And when we can bring in some like joy and happiness in a healing journey, things just go so much better than when we're really serious and rigid about it. Um, As a mom of two, I totally, (laughs) totally relate to this. Um, Maybe we need to work together. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm on like this, like, um, this like people pleasing no more kind of like you said like there's this layer of a journey that you have to go on that is really redefining who you are and i think when you're someone who most of us are right we have grown up in a culture that's very grind oriented and very much hustle oriented and kind of rejecting that can feel almost like you're living like counterculture or you're being lazy or you can't accomplish certain types of things as a result of that. And I think we don't realize then why so many of us are starting to feel lethargic and tired and doom scrolling and low energy and, you know, and then, of course, we're going to be seeing it in the effects of our hormones and the way that we feel on the day to day and in our body and all kinds of different manifestations of that. And I think what you said is so true that a lot of it, I think that's what makes it so hard to do this work because we love so much typing our way out of something like give me a list of things to do i'll buy all those supplements i'll do this thing i'll cut out nine different foods if i have to which is what makes like that type of of perspective on it so alluring to us because it doesn't really ask us to completely rewrite our lifestyle like it's a lot easier to be like carbs no more <laughs> like it's a lot easier to do that like dairy no more or like i'm not going to do these things anymore and then meanwhile at the same time you're just kind of like unknowingly and unbeknownst to you digging yourself deeper and deeper into it and i really like how you said that sometimes one of the ways that can make it really difficult is trying to piecemeal piecemeal your plan together from what other people are doing. And I think a lot of that, I'd love for you to talk more about that because I really see that as part of the, it's really hard for me to redo my whole life. So if I can just pick (laughs) from places, it makes it a lot easier. It totally does. I relate to so much (laughs) of what you shared. It's scary. It's scary to have to peel back all those layers. And I think especially when you don't feel well, even thinking about having the bandwidth to explore that, it can feel like a big, a big barrier. But yeah, the piecemealing thing is a big, is a big issue. I think part of it is that like, I don't have to really dig into this. If I can just cherry pick the few things that keep me in this safe space of what I know and who I believe myself to be. But the other part of it is the time we're living in. I think, I think about this a lot actually, because we have so much access to information, which is great, but it's also so overwhelming. I'm sure you guys see this in practice too, but like all of our clients pretty much without fail say, I've been consuming so much information and I'm stuck somewhere in the middle, like 
what applies to me. I kind of did this for a month and didn't see anything. So I left that and I did this for a few days and didn't see anything. And um, it it sells you short because we're never sticking with one thing long enough to actually see the return on that investment. And with hormones, especially progesterone, we're talking at least a 90-day delay from implementing something and actually seeing it impact your cycle, which sucks. Like I hate that there's that much of a delay, but it is what it is. So if we're jumping from thing to thing faster than 90 days, we're never really seeing the outcomes. And then there's the like health FOMO stuff going on where like we don't want to miss that favorite health influencer stories because there's probably like a new tip that we need to be doing that everybody else is doing and like buying all the biohacking things and trying all the new supplements. And I think the underlying quest for knowledge and understanding is great and is pure, but we live in a time where there's so much information that we just get stuck in the middle and we're spending a lot of money and just spinning wheels. So there is something to be said for choosing a route and giving that a solid go for at least 90 days. And ideally working with someone that can help you figure out what makes sense for you. Because one of the most annoying things about nutrition is how different things are for everybody. And the more personalized we can get, the more time we typically save. Yeah, which is really tough because it, I mean, especially if you are a type A personality or if you're someone who loves a plan and loves a structure or something like that. I mean, I can't even tell you the number of times a client has come to me and I'm sure you both too. And is like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know? And it's like, well, actually, I need to know all of these many different data points about you in order to like make a plan and then figure out how can we make this intentionally flexible so it's not perfectionistic so you don't feel like, oh, well, if I go have pizza on a Friday night with my friends because I want to, I don't feel guilty about it. And then I don't feel like, oh, well, eating this pizza is going to prevent me from having progesterone and having a regular cycle in 90 days, you know, because I think there, there can be a lot of that built in, especially when we are coming from kind of like either a chronic dieting background or if you've done a lot of research into like the functional medicine world, which can be very all or nothing kind of shame blaming food fear mongering depending on where you go. And if people are coming from that background, they can really feel like, oh my gosh, well, if I don't do your plan perfectly, even if as the practitioner, you're trying to meet them where they are and really trying to make it intentionally flexible and trying to make sure it's more of an add-in approach rather than a restrictive approach, which they're mostly used to. They're like, wait a minute, you don't want me to remove 17 different foods that came up with my food sensitivity test? And you're like, well, actually, we could rant about that for a whole nother hour, but we're not going to, but I'll send you a podcast episode I have on it. And my clients love when I do that. They're like, oh, thank you. That's so nice. I'm like, I mean, you signed up for a rant. You're going to get one. (laughs) That's great. I love that. (laughs) The gift that keeps giving. (laughs) Honestly, though. But, you know, I think it's so true, though, because I feel like I I fall I find this a lot too with a lot of my clients and I specialize more in like um diagnosed eating disorders. So a lot of the times a lot of the work that I'm doing with them is just convincing them that what they're eating is not even remotely close to enough or as much variety as what they're really looking for. And I think or what they really need from a nutrient level or even feeling like, oh, well, my body tells this story and like appearance and like, whoa, 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 that's not what the internal body's story is telling us, you know. And I think that can also be like such a huge barrier in being able to really do this work in a lot of ways too, because we get stuck in the, well, 
I have to see an immediate result in my physical self. And if there's a result in my physical self that I'm not vibing with or that like I've been told is really unsafe and makes me feel wildly uncomfortable, then all the other stuff goes out, you know, goes out the door. And all we want to do is kind of go back to what we know, even though what we know is keeping us stuck in this place, because it is really hard to visualize getting to a place that we've talked about with this like calm kind of feeling when we are told like from society that we're not supposed to feel calm, you know? And I think that's a really hard place to be in. And so when you're, when you're kind of going through this and talking to clients about, um, you said that one of the things that you would do differently that you held yourself back by not eating enough. I'm curious on how you describe that to to people now when you're talking about hormone health and the importance of that. I think you explained all of that really well, that sometimes these things are simple, but they don't mean that they're easy. Like we can list this in a really quick bullet point, but this doesn't mean that this is like the simplest thing to bring into your life. Um, the eating enough consistently thing is the first thing that we work on with any client, because like we've talked about, and like, I know you guys have talked about probably every other podcast episode before this, if we miss that, nothing else really matters. We can't create enough safety in the body without that. So there's no point in going further with supplements and complexity and testing. Um, so we always start with a big nutrition assessment with our clients. And then we do some educating on, you know, what does it look like to eat and nourish an adult female that is active, is caring for kiddos, is breastfeeding, is on her feet, is working, is a business owner, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and it's always jaw dropping to just see what that actually looks like compared to like the magazine and tabloid headlines we've been seeing our whole lives. Um, so we have that first kind of awareness tool and have a lot of conversations about like, because most of our clients have been working on this for a long time before they ever come to us. And that's frustrating because I can relate to that personally. And so we just explain, you know, if we've been doing it this way for a certain amount of time and we haven't gotten there, here's one low hanging fruit option for us. That's glaringly obvious. So what would it look like to inch our way toward that? Um, it's very rare that we would take somebody from what they're eating now to this goal of nourishment in a week or two's time. It's uncomfortable from a digestive standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, but we would move our way there gradually over the span of several weeks or potentially several months, depending on the person. And then we love to have non-physical or non-external metrics of things improving. So we'd be looking at basal body temperatures. And that's a really great free metric that tells us a lot about progesterone production and thyroid health. And it's cool to see that change in real time before we might see big shifts in cycle symptoms or before we see big changes on labs. So we'd be looking at that. We'd be looking at energy, sleep quality. What's our resilience to stress feeling like when things come up in our day? Do we feel like it just totally sets us back? Um, was I laughing? Was I doing things that bring us joy? And just trying to bring it back to those so that we can keep that momentum going because we're in a bit of a no man's land when we're between under eating and nourished where we're like, I don't know if I'm moving in the right direction. I kind of feel weird. I don't know who I am when I'm not following strict rules. So we find that those types of like goals and symptoms to look for can help keep our eye on the prize until we get to that other side. Cause I don't want to, um, I don't want to skip over the past that this can be really uncomfortable. You know, what's really interesting is we've now mentioned multiple times that one of the 
kind of roadblocks is that we see is people are constantly seeking out information to try and figure out, you know, what's going on with them. And then also there's a you know, millions of pieces of information that we have the potential to interact with every single day. And yet, when we try to take people back to what could seem like, I would say, the prerequisites of what we're working on with hormones and gut health and all this other stuff, it's very scary because it's basically like for the longest time, people are looking for a permission slip to eat less when we're like, well, actually, (laughs) one of the things that we can do to help the most is give you the building blocks of your hormones, give you the building blocks of your nervous system so that can do its job and all these other things. And people are like, (laughs) excuse me, um, you're telling me to eat more? That is counter what every single thing that I've ever heard my entire life. But this is what happens when nutrition information is so intertwined with like wellness culture and diet culture and then this kind of uh, perception that we have in our country that like thinner is always going to be better and there's all these different kind of moral judgments that are wrapped up in that also and it's just a really tough place to be in. So if you as a listener have ever been in the position where you're like, oh, I've been doing all this research forever and then all of a sudden I go to, you know, one of you three ladies or, you know, whoever else and they tell you to eat more, if you've had that fear-based reaction, it's very understandable. Yeah. We get it. Yeah, we've literally been conditioned to respond that way to it. So it takes some time to peel that back. I feel like this is bringing me some deja vu of our last conversation, which was three years ago, so I could be totally wrong. But we talked a lot about like when you first start kind of relaxing that tight white knuckled grip on all the health stuff. And we're actually eating enough and getting nourished and we're not trying to type A our way out of this situation. How sometimes that feels worse at first because we're accustomed to a cocktail of stress hormones that we've probably lived our whole life with and those go away. And it feels like, God, do I have no motivation anymore? Is my energy, do I have adrenal fatigue? (laughs) Like we're looking at all the symptoms Um, So I think that's an important thing to be aware of, too, is sometimes things feel worse. It feels foreign at a minimum because this is a new state, but it can feel worse. I remember feeling that way. You know, that kind of reminds me of a conversation that I had with my therapist the other day. (laughs) I was kind of like, is it normal for me to feel completely exhausted now? And he's like, yes, it's completely normal, expected for you to feel this way. You're breaking down a lot of old patterns and all this stuff too. And when you're doing that, when you're kind of going into this unknown world, right, it's completely unknown to you and you have functioned really well under this kind of chaotic, stressed type of world. You've learned how to adapt to that. Your body is incredible at adapting to it. So it's adapted to it. And then slowly over time, your body's like, I can't, can't, can't hang like that for too long. Um, I think that is something that people don't always realize. But then all of a sudden, there's like this moment when all of a sudden you start to feel a little bit different and you think, oh, wow, maybe, maybe this is happening for me. You know, maybe this is, this is doing it. I think one of the things too, that one of your posts got me thinking, and this is kind of like a weird question, so just bear with me as I go through it. Dana was like, "You're gonna have to ask this." I'm like, "I know." It's I'm like on like some like weird, like weird, weird road, but bear with me. In one of your posts, you did a thing called "My Mineral Shit Talking Me" when I expect them to solve all my problems, and one of the things that I was thinking about is, how do you know when the road that you're going on is starting to work? 
And when do you know if this isn't the right road? Because the things that you're talking about and all the stuff that we're describing here about like rewriting your life and like doing all these different things and having are really hard to do and beneficial for 99% of the people. If you're listening to this episode and you thought, oh, I would like to learn more about this, this is probably for you. Like, <laughs> but, um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about, because I loved how you said the 90 days thing. That's like a real relief of, and also like a reality check of, oh God, yeah, 90 days is actually a long time, you know? So I would love for you to talk about if I'm making sense of how do you know when it's really working days? I don't think that's a weird question. I totally get that, I think. <laughs> no, you basically just said, will you please validate my question and that I'm making sense? <laughs> Oh, okay. Sure. I mean, that's my life. Yeah. All I want is for everyone it was a to validate great question. my questions. It was well <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you, guys. <laughs> People are getting a little insight into who I am now. <laughs> no, it's a good, it's a really good question because this is part of that motivation thing too, where we've got to have some signposts to look out for in this like no man's land here, or we don't know what we're doing. And it's also important to know when maybe this isn't the path that's for you or we need to look at something else too. Um, so yeah, at least 90 days. It's like really 90 to 100 days depending on cycle length, honestly. So I'd say in that three to four month window is what we should mentally be prepared to give any intervention before we really decide if this is or isn't for us. And that's 90 to 100 days before we should see return on investment for cycle symptoms, whether that's more regular cycles, less symptomatic cycles, better basal body temperature. Um, but there are other things that should feel better earlier than that. Um, and this is going to be a little different for everybody, as always, with health stuff. But I think sleep quality is often one of the first things, like actually staying asleep through the night, not waking up in the middle of the night. Again, new moms, I'm not speaking to you here because that's just a different season. But if you don't have a little one getting you up in the middle of the night, we should be sleeping through it. And I know for our clients and for me personally, that's one of the earliest tells that I'm letting stress creep up a little too much is I'm like awake, awake between like 1 and 3 a.m. just ready to start my day. Um, we should be able to feel like we can take a deep breath. That's another unusual uh, sign of better regulation is like, oh, like I'm relaxed enough that I can actually breathe deeply and not just this shallow chest breathing. Um, and I think when I first started to work on all of this stuff, I realized I maybe never took a deep breath in my life until like <laughs> somewhat recently, which is weird. Um, and then I think the like general resilience is another big thing that we see earlier. And what I mean by that is life is going to continue to have curveballs and stressors. We can't ever paint a picture of a stress-free life. But we notice that the things that come up aren't knocking us down. We're not like exhausted for the whole rest of the week or we're not losing our shit over something really small. And we're finding joy in things that we haven't enjoyed in a while. And again, a personal example of this is I notice I enjoy cooking if I'm well-nourished and regulated. I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun in here. I'm enjoying this new recipe. If I hate cooking, that is like I need to slow down. I need to look at what I'm doing. I maybe need to eat more. So I would just encourage you if you're working on this kind of stuff to just get curious with how you're moving through your day. Are you enjoying things? Do you feel like you're present and slow and intentional? Do you feel like you can handle stressors a little bit better? Are you generally sleeping pretty well? Are you feeling hunger when you wake up? Are you noticing hunger cues throughout the day? Um, and if we hit 
90 to 100 days of being really consistent with something. And we're not seeing any of those things. We've seen no change in cycle symptoms, like energy is still in the tank. We're not sleeping well. That's a time where we'd want to investigate a little bit further or maybe change up what we're doing. Um, I think we don't want to spin our wheels indefinitely if we're not seeing progress at that point. And three to four months should be enough to start seeing some things move in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. So in that light, um, we wanted to go into another question, which is actually really funny because Christina and I had been talking about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. And then we saw that you had posted about it. We're like, <laughs> Great minds. We love this. Um, but it's thinking about, you know, as practitioners, what would we do differently now, knowing what we do, if we were to start working on the issues that yeah. we were dealing with, you know, way back when they maybe not when they started happening. Right. But like maybe a couple years into it, which is when we really dug into the like, oh, I need to do all yeah. these like elimination protocols and I need to be doing like all this other stuff, you know, just like mm -hmm. the productivity checklist of wellness, what we hoped it would be. But if we were to approach it differently, you know, now knowing what we did or knowing what we do now, how would you approach hormone health differently? So I won't elaborate any further on the first point of I would actually start eating enough <laughs> because we've done that. We're done. We're done with that point. <laughs> But I would yeah. do that sooner. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then I think a big part of what changed things for me and what we see with our clients too is switching the mindset away from my body and these symptoms are a malfunction, like basically viewing body and us as totally separate and actually kind of enemies in that analogy to my body is communicating with me via symptoms because that's really the only option for communication. And we are aligned on the same team here. And that change in like team assignment really changes what you would choose to do. Because if you believe that a symptom is not a malfunction, it's actually there to tell you something needs support, something needs attention, and that your body's working really hard to get things back in balance, we're a lot less likely to do extremes. Like we're not going to withhold nourishment from our teammate. We're not going to withhold or punish with extreme exercise our teammate. You know, we want them to recover and feel good. And that's something that took me a while to cultivate, and we see it with our clients too. Um, I would spend a lot more time on just like real uncomplicated food. I think I was like enjoying all the health stuff that was coming out, you know, like the fancy nut milks and the bars and <laughs> yeah. goji berries. That's so and complicated. <laughs> and like, I guess if you enjoy it and you have that in the grocery budget, you know, have fun with it. But I think I made it way too complicated. I could just eat regular food. <laughs> um, and then I was really glad Christina mentioned like a therapy session recently because I'm just such a big fan. I would have started that kind of work a lot earlier, knowing what I know now, because we've hinted at it. Like there's not, it's not just about nutrition and supplements and exercise. It's like, thoughts, beliefs, long-standing patterns and reinventing yourself. And it's hard to do that on your own without a third-party objective opinion. So I would have been in therapy a lot earlier. Um, I would have been working on my nervous system a lot earlier too. So we use um, Vital Sides Rewire with our client programs now. And that's a great like brain retraining and nervous system program developed by a PA here in Austin with me. And our, like our team uses this too, because I think this is something that all modern humans need to work on. And if we can work on 
the state of the nervous system and how we handle stress, all of our diet, lifestyle, and supplement interventions actually have an impact much faster, particularly when we're talking about minerals and stress is our mineral depleter. So if we're not working on that, we're like filling up a cup with a big old hole in the bottom. So those would be things I would do differently. I'd be curious what you guys would do differently too. Oh man, I would have started therapy a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) I think, I think it took me a, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast about like being a formal people pleaser. And to be honest, I think I've had my own personal come to Jesus moment this past week that I'm still in the process of undoing that. And I'm starting to see like, oh shit, it's like literally everything I've ever been told and believed about how I operate in the world is people pleasing. And now I told my husband the other day that I've entered my I'm going to tell people what I think era (laughs) of my life. So everybody get ready. Like who knows what's going to come. Jersey Christina is coming out (laughs) finally. (laughs) It only comes out with certain people. But I do think like there is something about doing the type of therapy that I'm really big into internal family systems and EMDR type of therapy. And I do a lot of that type of collaboration with my eating disorder clients. Um, as well, because I find it to be so beneficial. But I think I probably would have done something like that and understood kind of like my inter framework more and like where things like what was driving certain types of ways that I interacted with things. I think that's definitely something that I would do. And I think the after effect of that is kind of like has like a ripple effect, you know, like once you understand why you're doing certain things and you're working on um, reparenting it or supporting it or learning how to reprocess that or, or whatever it is that you're doing in your type of therapy that you're doing, learning these new skills, it makes the capacity to do the other things that much greater. And then you see, like you said, the effect so much faster too. Like, there like are things that I'm seeing that like I used to always doom scroll and last night I turned to my husband and sat down and was like can we not and just like sit down and hang out and chat for 15 minutes together and I was like this is (laughs) new (laughs) (laughs) and like I like I shared like I'm sharing it realistically with other people I have two young kids at home it's really difficult to even find time for yourself or even each other and so that's why I know like oh wow this is like this is something that I would have done you know, 15 years ago, had I known um, that I was going into all of this with a a framework that I didn't really sign up for that was taught to me. And now I'm unlearning that framework and creating my own kind of scaffolding, I guess, to to kind of do that. And I think that's a really cool, a cool way of doing it. Dana, you? Yeah. What would you do? No, I <laughs> I agree because I think, you know, tying it back to our conversation also is like, When we have stuff going on in the here and now, our instinct is like, I want to figure this out here and now. And we tend to lean into a lot of tools to like stop the symptoms as soon as possible and like stop this from happening, right? But we, when we bring in the therapy perspective and also a root cause perspective that we all use is like, we're looking for, okay, if these are your patterns with your symptoms or these are your behaviors around food or this is how you feel about your body image or, you know, size or anything in that in this moment, we want to look into, okay, well, how did we get here? You know, if you have certain behaviors around food or certain beliefs around food or your body or anything like that, 
yes, we need to work on, you know, rewiring those beliefs and all of the things, but also looking for how and where did I develop those beliefs in the first place and where did these patterns come from? Because most of the time, the patterns that we see in relationship with food and how people interact with food and even health information and everything like that is a coping tool to deal with something from before or with now or you know something like that. And so I think therapy is really helpful for figuring out well, you know, how, for example, if you learn that you have a perfectionist or people pleaser tendency or anything like that, how does that show up in your body image? How does that show up in your food patterns? And how does that show up in how you approach the health symptoms or issues that are coming up now? I think that would have been a real, obviously, ther- I think feel like therapy is like a duh answer. It's like, a, well, yeah, eat enough, duh, <laughs> you know, but I think more than that would be, I think it would have been really helpful for me to understand why I felt like I needed to control my food and my exercise to the degree that I did. And then also learn like with trying to figure out and then eventually getting diagnosed with like celiac and all these other things is like, you, well, yes, there needs to be like an intense healing period and then also like a grieving period of like, I'm going to cry my eyes out that I can never eat gluten again. And that really sucks, you know, but also why do I feel like I need to control every single aspect of my life or everything's going to fall apart, right? Because it's that's not the case, but it definitely felt like it was the case, right? And so think, looking into like, why do I feel this way? And like, why do I feel like I need to do these things? You know, like, what is the perception that I'm worried about? Or like, you know, what really, and I talk about this with my clients also as like, a, this is a great thing you can talk about with your therapist, you know, when you go back to them. It's like, what are you afraid of? You know, like, what is the biggest fear behind all of this? You know, is it health? Is it other people? Is it yourself? Is it, you know, there's so many different things that go into that. And then where does that come from when we look at like inner family systems and other stuff like that? But yeah, it's a uh, go a little deeper. <laughs> and like, it's going to be right. okay. I think. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be so serious. I think would have been really nice advice for me back in the day, because it was part of that whole like, you know, we must do it all perfectly. And I have to hold on to all these variables. And like, I can't show outwardly that I don't feel amazing, because I'm grew up to believe that women are supposed to be like, you know, holding it all together and doing all the things and not making any sounds about it. But I think if someone was like, this doesn't have to be so serious. Like, yeah, you're working on health stuff. Yeah. There are probably some symptoms that are not fun for you to have. Like we can work toward those goals, but you know, your life is happening right now. And if we're delaying living life until everything's perfect, we're never going to live life. So I think there was definitely a season where I wasn't saying yes to things because I didn't feel like I was in perfect health. And I think I'm sure you guys relate being in the health space. I I felt like such a fraud for a big chunk of time because I was not in great health. And I was like, my goodness, if I'm not in good health, what am I supposed to be doing with other people that are coming to me to get into good health? So there was like a whole other layer of of perfectionism or at least wanting to put a, a picture out for others to see. But yeah, I think if someone was like, just relax, like it. This is not that serious. It's going to be all right. (laughs) But can you imagine if someone had said that to you? You'd be like, I'm trying to relax. (laughs) Oh, gosh. My husband met me at that time in my life that I described where I was like grad school work marathons, just came off birth control, not a drop of progesterone in this system, not eating enough, didn't learn about (laughs) minerals. And I'm like, how? (laughs) He's like, yeah, you were high strung. You were high strung. He just leaves it at that. 
but that was not that was not someone that could chill <laughs> i had no chill i'm working on chill it's funny my brother said that to me maybe last christmas he said christina you're so chill like what what's happening he's like you know and i honestly you're like i'm myself, dissociating <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's that, you know, like part of it was, yes, I'm dissociating and I'm exhausted and I don't have even like brain cells to talk right now because I I had a six month old at the time. (laughs) But I'm also kind of like, yeah, I just stopped participating in a lot of things that I don't want to participate in anymore. And um, that's been nice. (laughs) So uh, this is your permission to stop participating in things that you don't want to participate in anymore. I like that. (laughs) <laughs> that's probably one of the single best things you can probably do for your hormones oh yeah a hundred percent and eat enough yeah, yeah so <laughs> <And eat> enough. <laughs> don't don't forget guys <laughs> that is the message of the day oh my gosh well yeah so on that note kaylee thank you so so much for coming on this was so much okay. fun um let when people want to find you because i'm sure they will can you tell them about how to find your instagram your website all of the good stuff yeah so my name's spelled weird it's K-A-E-L-Y, but you'll find me at Kaylee R-D on Instagram and my website's the same, KayleeRD.com. And you'll find really all the ways that you can get support, whether it's just educational stuff on Instagram, working as a client, we'll have a course by the time this comes out, I'm willing that into the universe. Or if you're a <laughs> practitioner looking for some training on using some functional testing in practice, you'll find that info on on both of those places as well. And all of this will, of course, be in the show notes. So thank you so much again for coming on. For having me. Yes, thank you so so much. Hey, friends, it's Dana. And thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.